I'd like to invite you to open up your Bibles to Ecclesiastes chapter 3, or you can open up your worship guide um, or follow along on the wall uh, behind me. Uh, but simply, Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Ha- thank you. Happy New Year. I appreciate that. Thank you. Well, today we're jumping back into the wisdom literature of the Bible. So if you're wondering where Ecclesiastes is, it's think about Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes. And we were looking at the book of Proverbs before Advent. And as we are coming into this new year, it's appropriate for us to specifically think uh, about time. And the book of Ecclesiastes is one that actually cuts very deep. It's a book that if you've never read it, please read it. Embrace yourself. Because it's a book that cuts deep about our priorities in life. And therefore, it actually helps reshape your priorities. And so it's timely for us to consider uh, some of these words as it is a new year and as we are returning to our sermon series on wisdom and godly living. Because time, time is an essential part of life. You cannot live without considering time. You cannot talk about life without considering time. And You cannot have a godly life without thinking about time. So this is actually why Ecclesiastes spends a lot of time, pun not intended actually, talking about time. So let's give our careful attention to the reading of God's word. This is Ecclesiastes 3, verses 1 through 14, and I'm going to be reading from the English Standard Translation of Scripture. For everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to break down and a time to build up. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing A time to seek and a time to lose. A time to keep and a time to cast away. A time to tear and a time to sow. A time to keep silence and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. What gain has the worker from his toil? I have seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. He has made everything beautiful in its time also. He has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. I perceive that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also, that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. I perceive that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it, nor anything taken from it. God has done it so that people fear before him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. Let me pray for us. Father God, we thank you for your word that you have given to us. And we pray that your spirit would plant your word deeply into our hearts so that we would know you, that we would follow you, and we would also grow, and put on your character in our life. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. 
around Christmas time, my family has this conversation of, what do you want for Christmas? Perhaps you have the same conversation. But inevitably, I will hear the following. All I want for Christmas is time with my family. That's what I'll hear from many people, in fact. And so time, as I said earlier, is essential for us to understand life. Time is essential for us to have the good life. Time is essential for us to have healthy relationships. Time is essential for us to grow. Time is essential for, in fact, our life with God. See, you cannot thrive, you cannot flourish if you do not know how to relate to time, how to spend your days, how to make the most of your time. And so it's important for us to talk about time because time deals so much with our life. So have you ever said some of these phrases? Perhaps have you ever heard them? Think, here are some of the phrases. All I have is time. Or where did all the time go? There are not enough hours in the day. I've got to make most of this moment. I've been waiting for today. When will the time come? I don't want that day to come. Or do you remember when? These are just some phrases that just fill our mind when we talk about time. And there, once again, just to underscore this, we cannot talk about time. We cannot talk about our life without talking about time. Because the reality is, as we relate to time, it's always moving. It's constant. It's always there. And so we seek to control it and master it, to escape it. And so the, the book of Ecclesiastes actually helps us understand this about time, but also our hearts, because we try to hold on to things. And so Ecclesiastes helps us reframe our view and our use of time. And so our passage, as is from Ecclesiastes, it's part of the wisdom literature. It's alongside Psalms. It's along the Proverbs. We don't know who the author is, although there's a debate that Solomon is the one who wrote it. But it's a debate. But whoever wrote this book saw a lot to life. And this is actually where Ecclesiastes 3 begins in verse 1. For everything, there's a season and a time for every matter under heaven. And so there's this list of there's a time for this and time for that. And so as he goes through this list, he's not endorsing all this behavior. He's simply making observations so that there's a time for to kill. There's a time to heal. There's a time for war. There's a time for peace. What he's, he's not endorsing all this behavior. He's simply making observations about the world that he sees. But, but, and so as we think about time, there's a challenge to our English language where we use this one word, time, to, to mean a lot of different things about time. So, for example, to pick on Brian for a moment, today was his first day doing liturgy, and he did a wonderful job. It's the first time he held a microphone. And also there's this lengthy time for a pause after our prayer of confession. There's just three different ways I use the word time there to think about it. And the Greeks actually help us to think about this. Because the Greeks, they actually had two different words for time. 
And the Greek translation of this passage in the Septuagint actually uses both of these Greek words to talk about the different aspects of time. The first is chronos, the first is kairos. And chronos, like in the Greek, these are actually Greek minor gods. So there's a, there, th- these words mean a lot to the Greeks. But chronos, for example, measures and counts time. You see this in the life of Jesus when Jesus says, yes, I will stay with you a bit longer. We understand about chronos as being like, oh, that was a long time ago. Because chronos is the timekeeper, the stopwatch that's counting seconds go by. It's looking at the clock and seeing the second go, tick tock, tick tock, tick tock, tick tock, tick tock. See, Kronos is about the duration and the quantity of time. It's also an awful taskmaster where you got to clock in before eight and you, ha- you can leave after five. That's Kronos. And so we actually try to control time specifically by managing our time because our time management strategies seek to maximize every moment of our days, but we can trick ourselves to thinking, oh, I'm a i got a handle on my time. We can actually never master time. We can only master our response to it. So the Apostle Paul, uh, he writes this in Ephesians 5, 15, 16. He calls us to make the most of our days. But we make the most of our days by walking in wisdom. That's the Apostle Paul. So here's Kronos and that definition of time, of the timekeeping, the duration, the quantity of time. But kairos is altogether different. It's about timeliness. So we can say to Brian, the time has come for you to pick up a microphone. It's about timeliness. So think about it in terms of fruit. Have you ever eaten a banana that was not ripe? Or have you ever looked at a banana that says, that is too ripe? Or you can think about rice that's not cooked enough. Or meat that is charcoal. You can't even put it in the same category of well done. See, there is an appropriateness to time. And Jesus, once again, spoke about time, but he would speak about time talking about kairos. My hour has not yet come. The time is at hand. See, kairos time is about significance. And so the Proverbs, when they write about time, they are talking about this kairos element to it. So here's Proverbs 15:23. To make an apt answer is a joy to a man and a word in season. How good it is. The point there is that when you give words of counsel, insights, instruction at the appropriate time, they're much more meaningful. See Proverbs is talking about Kairos time there. Look at the book of Esther. When Mordecai comes to his niece and wants her to go to the king, he says, do you know that, I think it's perhaps, perhaps you became queen for such a time as this. That's Kairos time. And so as we have just ended a year of 2023, a a year has gone, Kairos time. A new year is at that's Kronos time. A new year is at hand. But when we, none of us are here today, just a day older or a year older, we're actually here. And the reality is God has done something in 2023. 
do we understand what he has done? Do we understand the significance of last year? Our years are full of seasons. They are full of highs and lows, of of mountain peaks and valleys. What role did 2023 play in our spiritual growth? What did God do in our lives last year? Because no one here is just another year older. God did something in our lives. And so as we think about this, how do we relate to time? Because there are three specific ways that we relate to time, and they're quite unhelpful. And so the first way that we relate to time is nostalgia, like nostalgia. So Andy Bernard, the philosopher from The Office, he quipped, I wish there was a way to know you are in the good old days before you have actually left them. There's nostalgia. Another way to think about nostalgia, or another aspect of nostalgia, is that you would look at this new year ahead of you and say, there's nothing to look forward to. See, it's easy to be nostalgic about the good old days. That makes perfect sense. But the life of Israel in the Bible actually shows us that you can be nostalgic about hardship. So, for example, here's Israel. They are enslaved in Egypt. They were enslaved for 400 plus years. And God comes to them. He rescues them. He liberates them in great and mighty and wonderful ways. He leads them out into the wilderness. And he is meeting them. He is providing for them. He eventually takes them to the promised land. They look at the world. They see the land right before them. But they turn around multiple times. They turn around to God and say, you know, in Egypt, even though I was a slave, I had my soup. I had my leeks. I had my cucumbers. If you're praising God for cucumbers, wonderful. But they say this to God and it says, you know, we would be better off there in Egypt than here. In fact, you brought us here to die. Just highlighting Their hardship is making them look back to Egypt and being enslaved there, and they're not accurately remembering what happened in Egypt. Their nostalgia overemphasized the taste of cucumber and fish, reducing their slavery to a minor inconvenience. That's another, that's a picture of nostalgia there. But how you fight nostalgia is actually by gratitude. How you fight nostalgia is by gratitude. So later today, when you go home, sit yourself, sit down, and ask yourself this question. How did God meet you in 2023? How was God faithful to you? How did God show up in your life last year? Because nostalgia tricks you into thinking that your best life is behind you. But the gospel of Jesus Christ says your best life is actually in front of you. That your glory days await you. And what God tells us here in Ecclesiastes is that he has put eternity in our hearts. See, nostalgia tricks us. But Christ tells us that our best days are in front of us with him. My coach, Elliot, is a foodie. And he asked me a few months ago, what was the best meal that we shared together? And that was a hard question. Perhaps it was pickled carrots. 
Those are amazing, by the way. Those were, that was an appetizer, but I had to land on barbecue. That he got barbecue from Central Barbecue, and this was when we were in Memphis. There was great food, good conversation, incredible friends. But here's the reality. That was last May. God did not intend for that meal to nourish my body today. That was a wonderful time. But, and so God used that meal to nourish my body, to like, give me energy then. And that's actually the danger of nostalgia. Because nostalgia says, I'm trying, wants you to live in the past and to give those moments, to make those moments be more than what they were ever meant to be. Because God actually wants to give you good gifts today. It might not be essential barbecue or pickled carrots, but God wants to give you a good gift and not just one, but get, wants to give you good gifts today. He, wa- he wants you to come to him. He wants you to worship him. He wants you to cry out to him say, God, will you minister to me and will you provide for me? Because he wants us to trust that he is good and that he does good things for you today. So the, this idea of nostalgia is a very dangerous and also toxic way that we relate to time and it undermines our life with God. And another way that we relate to time is about forget, is forgetting. Because forgetting is quick to move on. And this is very easy for us to adopt when we have just gone through a hard season, a hard year, a hardship. Where, and so you're glad it's over. I'm glad it's over for you too. But when you have this quick to forget, let's just hurry on, let's just move on mindset, you're actually going to miss out on something else. You're going to miss out on what God wants you to learn, on what God is actually teaching you. Because God does his best work when we are aware of our own sinfulness and our brokenness and the curse that's within this world. That's why the psalmist David says that, God meets him even in the valleys of the shadow of death. It's in our weakness that God's glory is seen. So it's good, it's healthy, it's wonderful to actually reflect and remember not only how God has met you, but also how God has ministered to you in those moments that you wish never happened. There's a power to moments. That's a book, and I, it's a really good one. But the authors of this book say that there are moments in our life that deserve punctuation, like transitions. That when you are going and having a new job, punctuate that. When you get a new house, punctuate that. When you are going through a transition, punctuate those moments. There are also milestones, and these milestones are easily commemorated or celebrated birthdays, anniversaries. But there's also times in our life, there are moments that have incredible power in our life, and they are pits. They're hardship. And we need certain things during these times. We need prayer and empathy, sympathy, and care. So the question to bring this back to God, when we just want to move on and hurry past these hard moments, we need to ask ourselves this question, how did God meet me? How did God care for me when I was going through this valley of the shadow of death? What do you learn about God's love and care as your father? What do you learn about him as the one who has defeated the works of the devil? What do you learn about the one who is victorious? What do you learn about him? 
Because the lie that this forgetting mindset has is that when you, we just want this hard season to be over to move on to the next one, that next season is still cursed. It's still under sin. We're not in glory. And so the proper perspective for us to actually have is to look to God who's actually, in Jesus' words, making all things new. Because when Jesus comes again, he will make everything sad untrue. That is the wonderful gospel answer to this forgetting mindset. There's a third, the third way that we relate to time. So we have nostalgia, we have forget. Now let's think about regret. Because regret obsesses over failures. It could be your own personal failure or mistake, or it could be one that is perceived and done to you by another. Because regret fills the blank to a certain question. If only I blank. That's regret. If only I made this decision. If only I took this job. If only I did this. If only I did that. See, regret can actually dominate your life. And it's about shame and guilt having a power in your life that they're not meant to have. So as it's marked by the shame and this guilt, it's marked by mistakes and failures. And wonderfully, this is actually what the gospel clearly bears down on. Because Jesus goes to the cross. He deals with our sins. And failures there. And so I love this one conversation that Ray Ortland completely imagines. And it's in his commentary on Isaiah. He writes this about Satan. Satan, meaning the accuser, he comes to God and says, Look, see that Christian over there? Look at Robbie over there. Why do you still love him? Do you remember what he did last year, last month, last week, yesterday, and this morning? Why do you still love him? Or do you still love him? Well, God replies and says, well, if you allow me to put it this way, yes, I absolutely love him. I blotted out his, his transgressions. In fact, I don't remember any of those things that you just said he did. When I watch the story of his life, I edit out the sins for my own glory. So Satan, I'm not saying you're facts are wrong, but they're not telling the whole story about that Christian. What matters most to me for my own glory is not that person's record, but Christ's record for him. And see, that's grace, and that's who God is. And God does not want our lives to be dominated by regrets. In fact, he doesn't want us to simply forget. God doesn't want us to think that our best life is behind us. And that God's greatest and glorious work in our life is behind us. In fact, God's wonderful work awaits us in our lives. And so how does God want you to relate to time? How does God want you to relate to your days? And this is what Ecclesiastes powerfully and clearly puts before us. God wants you to embrace the gift that God has given you. God wants you to embrace the gift that God has given to you and to enjoy it to its fullest. But to enjoy not only the gift, but to enjoy the one who has given you that gift. To enjoy the gift giver. Because every breath that you take, every inhale, every exhale, that is a gift to you. 
And so in the peaks of your life, when you're saying, this is a wonderful moment, this is fantastic, this central barbecue is fantastic, and even in those pits of life, God wants us to look for him. And God wants us to embrace these moments because he is there alongside that, uh, aside us. The wonderful good news is that even when we're going through these, this hardship, we are never alone. In fact, God is with us. So in the extraordinary moments that are truly incredible, we should look to God and say thank you for these moments. But in the ordinary moments, the mundane, the chores, we should still look to God because he is still there and he's ministering to us and he is giving us good gifts. Because in every season, in every time, in every day, God is giving you a gift. And I should actually say gifts because they are plural God gives you gifts every day. And this is what Ecclesiastes 3 says. It is the gift of God to rejoice and enjoy the good life. And he continues. It is also the gift of God whenever anyone eats, drinks, and enjoys his efforts. The food, the drink, the friends, the family, the loved ones whom God has given to us. These are the gifts that God has given to us. And he even gives us work to do. And so let's strive to do the work that God has given to us, to em embrace this life that he has given us, to enjoy all these things, that, these gifts that he has given to us. Because he is our Heavenly Father. He created time. He is above it. And he has written eternity into our hearts. And he wonderfully long, longs to spend eternity with you. This is our Heavenly Father who gives us incredible gifts. Let's, en let's enjoy him and love him. Let me pray for us. Father God, we thank you for the love that you have for us. We thank you for your kindness. And we thank you for your grace that you have shown us. That you are doing a wonderful work in our heart, in our life. That because of you, our best life is actually ahead of us. That you have given us a new reputation and a new identity so that we do not have to live life in fear or dominated by our sins. That regret does not, you have broken the power of regret. And that even in the, these moments that are, are hard and that we wish they would be over, you are there alongside us, ministering to us, encouraging us. So, Father, we pray that you would minister to us deeply through your spirit, that you would help us by your spirit to hold on to these words and to, to enjoy the life that you have given us because you are our good Heavenly Father and that you would make us more like your Son, Jesus Christ. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.